slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. Because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And today we're going to talk about a rapidly growing trend in the internet. And you might think, oh yeah, this is going to be super cutting edge and rad. And we're basically going to talk about 50-year-old women on the internet. <laughs> your mom, in other words. I didn't say that. <laughs> That's the only time we'll make a your mom. Well, <laughs> we'll try to make that the only time we make a your mom joke on this episode. No promises. No promises. But we are going to talk about a new demographic. And I do say new in relative terms, but in because the internet is new as a whole on its own in the terms of, you know, history. But <laughs> yeah. But in the last 10 years, a large demographic has started to make significant changes to the ways that people and advertisers and large corporations and social media networks and news networks and pretty much everyone <laughs> interacts on the internet and it's 35 to 55 year old women. Yep. You have probably noticed, if you've been around on the interwebs for a while, the proliferation of things like mommy blogs and the rise of Facebook as being dominated by that segment of the population and so on. And you're not the only one if you've noticed that. There are a couple articles we'll link in the show notes, of course, describing exactly this phenomenon and describing how as segments of the population that weren't necessarily there early on as early adopters on the internet, which was mostly middle to upper class nerdy white men. That's just how things started. Mm -hmm. As that has broadened and diversified out, the tenor and timbre and general shape of the internet has shifted. And we think that's broadly a good thing, but we also think it is an interesting thing to keep your eye on because, well, the kinds of things generated by 35 to 55-year-old women are, as you might imagine, a little bit different than the kinds of things generated by 20 to 30-year-old men. They're or just not... 15-year-old girls or 15-year-old yep. dudes or any other demographic like every other demographic they have different things that they're interested in different goals that they have with the internet and so depending on the size of your demographic is how many services start to get catered towards you and in the case of 35 to 55 year old women it's basically the entire internet that's starting to cater towards them because Advertisers have known this for years since the rise of suburbia. The person who makes all of the consumption choices for a household is the woman in the house most of the time. Now that's changing as gender norms change and stay-at-home dads proliferate and the ways that we make our consumption choices are radically altered by things like Amazon. and So there's a lot of change going on in that statement. But in general, advertisers still think, oh yeah, 35 to 55 year old <laughs> women, they're the ones buying toilet paper. Let's serve <laughs> them toilet paper ads. So this is a, an interesting thing because we just started talking about ads in the last two episodes. And I do say started because we're going to keep talking about it this season. But we just finished our first round of talking about ads and as advertisers continue to try to track everyone on the internet they're with greater numbers finding that these are not 18 to 25 or 18 to 34 year old yuppies suburbanites urban people they're they're older they're people who are working 
or staying at home, but who have time to be using things like Facebook to interact with others of their peer group. Right. And so one of the interesting things that this has led to is a shift in what constitutes the main meme generation of the internet. For quite a while, if you wanted to see a meme, which broadly defined, Stephen, you're the academic who deals in these things. Why don't you give us a good definition of a meme? Uh, so a meme <laughs> is a... Okay, so I get made fun of for having a PhD basically in the internet, and so I, I think it's awesome for I, the record. It, it is, <laughs> but but people often accuse me of of studying uh, Facebook or memes or hipsters as a PhD, which is not exactly what I do. But uh, a meme, in the internet sense of the word, is a still image, often with text layered over it, in particular types of categories that portray or project a particular sentiment. So you can have ironic memes, you can have humorous memes, you can have serious memes. They're images that get passed around the internet that often include text and image. Right. And the idea comes from the notion of a sort of self-replicating in, in a social context, a self-replicating idea. And the idea of a meme predates the advent of the internet, but yeah. it has taken on a great deal more prevalence as we've seen those kinds of things. And even beyond the specific images, you can think of other kinds of memes that show up. The, oh goodness, going back to early days of the interwebs, the badger, badger, badger. <laughs> badger, uh, badger, 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 yeah. Snake! That these kinds of things have grown in prominence on the internet because of the ability of things to quote-unquote go viral. When we talk about things right. going viral, we're talking about meme propagation. The thing that got Stephen and I talking about this was an article on Medium that talked about how the kinds of memes, and especially the kind of text and image-driven memes Stephen mentioned, make their way around. The kinds of those that we see prominently right now have shifted from what was most prominent five to eight years ago. And specifically, whereas five to eight years ago, it was places like 4chan and Reddit that really spawned the majority of these, given the populations that tend to make that up, uh, more the traditional internet population we discussed at the beginning. Or the well, perceived traditional internet. Yes, that's a good qualifier. The kinds of images and notions that were going around were heavy on irony and heavy on inversions of expectation and heavy on sarcasm and heavy on subtext. Things, in short, that appeal to the roughly 20 to 35 cohort and especially men in that cohort. Right. But there were also some memes that kind of broadly more related to life. So you had Scumbag Steve, which was a famous <laughs> meme, and it was basically a way to vent your troubles with roommates mostly, but also with anybody who just did something crappy to you. <laughs> and they were generally funny, not because they were intrinsically funny, but because you could relate. Like, yeah, I've had that happen to me. <laughs> I've had that roommate. I've had that guy. That guy. And so that sort of use of meme is more closely related to the type of memes that are propagating on Facebook now. I don't even have to say anything more than that if you've been on Facebook recently, because if you've been on Facebook recently, you know what is there and the types of memes that I'm talking about, because they are everywhere. They are this sort of 
many of them having a positive spin as opposed to a negative spin. And they are related not to internet-created famous sorts of images, but a throwback to images from the 90s, 80s, even 70s and 60s with the Looney Tunes and Peanuts characters. Mm-hmm. The the not uncommon Betty Boop figure, etc. Mm-hmm. All of these yeah, things are... Yeah, and that's are... the 40s, 30s, and 50s. So. Right. So it's an interesting throwback in terms of visual iconography, but in terms of textual analysis, or textual inclusions, they aren't these sorts of ironic statements or these expressly humorous punchline inversions. Instead, they're related a lot more to kind of self-motivation or towards this sort of attitude of both independentness but interconnectedness, the sort of thing you might see, as the article points out, on a t-shirt in the 90s. This is, of course, a shift from when the internet was dominated by its stereotypical cohort meme-wise, but it's also an unsurprising reflection of just the changing demographics of Facebook. I was on Facebook in the first year or so that it was available, and listeners may recall that when it was first a thing, Facebook was limited to college students. And so, of course... .edu. Yep. You had to have a .edu email address and... Insofar as there were these kinds of things being shared around on it then, this was before the news feed and a lot of other things that have come to typify Facebook since then. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't these kinds of things. And over the last decade, I have watched Facebook morph from what was mostly a prettier version of MySpace with posts back and forth on people's walls to the the behemoth that it is today, but I have also watched the content on it more from a bunch of college students talking about college things to, well, the kinds of things that women running from 35 to 55 tend to be talking about. And so my Facebook feed, though I have many friends who are not in that age cohort, is pretty much dominated by pictures of people's children and grandchildren, almost entirely, apart from these sorts of memes. Betty Boop saying, I can do something in some way that evinces an attitude of independence, as Stephen said, or oh, it's Monday again, type comics, and so on. These kinds of things have all but displaced the sorts of things that were on Facebook when I joined a decade ago, and even for the first half decade of my usage. And this is a shift in Facebook usage by the people who are of this age group, as well as a signal of a certain type of age group and demographic leaving Facebook for Mm -hmm. their central social connecting purposes. I don't know a whole lot of people that have totally overthrown Facebook. I know people who have said, yeah, I'm not on there, but I check for the events, which is not the same thing to say as I deleted my Facebook permanently. (laughs) There's just a different expectation of how Facebook is used. My wife Mm -hmm. calls it the new phone book. That's how you interact with people if you don't know what their email address is or you want to invite them to an event. This is just where you go, even if it's not where you do your primary social interacting, which it's not for me and for a lot of people that used to use it primarily for that purpose. Because I used to be a power user of Facebook, and now I just took a month off of Facebook, and now I'm probably going to be one of those people that only uses it for the events because I get (laughs) all of the other social benefit that I got from Facebook in other places, including Gasp Offline. (gasps) I know. 
I know. astounding idea that i'm old i'm so old <laughs> and of course these things operate in a sort of cycle with each other in that well that place that your mom is is not necessarily hip or cool and so the people who are inclined to chase hip and cool are not inclined to be on facebook all that much but it also simply reflects the fact that different cohorts make different uses of things and as they mm -hmm. do so its attractiveness can vary. So mm -hmm. as people in that age segment came on and started using Facebook in a way that made much more sense to them and reflects their interests and their sensibilities more, all of a sudden that became less attractive to people whose sensibilities are different. And we shouldn't make too much of generational divides. There's a tendency out there to segregate everything into boomers and Gen Xers and millennials as though there are these hard lines. And there aren't. But there are broad trends in even things like humor that mean that as one group comes to take up more and more room on a, a given social space, as it were, it may become more or less attractive, more attractive to others who share those sensibilities broadly and less attractive to those who don't. And this is one right. of the general trends you'll see in any social context, whether that's a hopping club that suddenly attracts new clientele or whether it's a social media tool. Right. And there's also a fascinating thing when you talk about demographics and generational shifts that people actually do age. And so earlier mm -hmm. we talked about mommy bloggers, and this is not the strict province of 35 to 55 year olds. In fact, it's probably in the early 30s, late 20s, even some into the early 20s range of people who are adept on the internet, have children, have a desire to make a connection or to put their writing out or to share information. And so these are people who, if it's 2015 now, and they had a Facebook in 2005 and they were in college, they're 30, 31, 32, 33 years old now, and they've had Facebook their entire adult life, or they've had the internet for sure their entire adult life. And so people who were the most desirable demographic, 15 to 29, for a very long time have gotten older and moved into the 30 to 35 year old bracket. It's unfortunate how this happens to us. We, keep we getting get older. older. And, and we've seen that. I have friends who are mommy bloggers, quite literally. And curiously, the only place that I know of where blogging as it existed in the mid-2000s as sort of a social and communal activity with high amounts of comments and linking to other blogs and generally creating high degrees of social connectivity and interactivity while sharing interesting information to other parties is the mommy blog crowd. Yeah, particularly commenting, which is mm -hmm. a function that even on blogs that are highly trafficked and highly read – doesn't inspire the same amount of personal interaction and development of a thought pattern over multiple comments. So it, people might comment once to say like, this is what I thought about the blog. <laughs> but people in general, and again, there are exceptions in technical mm -hmm. blogs, like there's an exception everywhere. But in general, people are posting a comment or no comment, whereas on mommy blogs, it's pretty common to find one commenter returning and interacting with other comments. It's just the way that that community works. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that that social dynamic has persisted. And in some ways, it's not surprising because this is how mothers and mothering has gone on for time immemorial. Like you just talk to the mom next to you. Hey, what's going on? How does this work? What are you doing? 
how do you deal with this thing that is in my house and is your house? <laughs> like, you know. So it doesn't surprise me that this happens, but it seemed to be surprising to people when people started doing this on Facebook. Like, there was some sort of generational, like, wait, this is our thing. Why are you, why are you doing this on Facebook? What, what are you doing? Why, why are you posting my baby pictures? This is uncomfortable. I'm yep, gonna, mom, I'm gonna mom, go to Instagram. I'm naked and two in that picture. <laughs> I'm going to Instagram now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's it's fascinating that because of the way that the internet is isolated in much conversation from interacting with the real world, and I know that this takes a bit of explaining, but I think it's true that we still think of the internet as a pliable but largely static object that has been imposed upon the world and the world is forced to interact with it on its own terms, which is not exactly the way the internet works. <laughs> it's kind of kind of not at all the way the internet works. Yeah, people impose their own will upon the internet, and even though there are core users who say the internet is the way it is because we made it that way, that's not a permanent state of the internet, which is, again, a totally normal thing to think if you've only been the internet for 15 years and <laughs> one core demographic has dominated the way that it developed for 15 years its entire life it is going to feel like an imposition when someone shows up and is like hey i i found this this betty boop comic and it was awesome wait what what What? that's not my internet and and the answer you're correct it's not your internet but the internet in some sense is people Yes, there are technologies on it, and as we've discussed before, most notably in our recitation of Alan Jacobs' theses last season, it does provoke certain kinds of responses, but it's also a tool that is shaped and used by people, and all tools are subject to being remade. They are, to a certain extent, malleable in the hands of people, and Mm -hmm. that includes Facebook. And Mm -hmm. if... And mommy blogs. That's right. And if they've remade blogging and Facebook in their image, well, in a lot of ways, we just think that's really cool because what it shows is the ability for the Internet to empower people to connect, which has been one of the things that the Internet has always been celebrated for. But it is amusing to see people who celebrated that for themselves find it uncomfortable when that ability suddenly is put to use by people who aren't necessarily very much like them. Mm-hmm. We, we think that's good, but we also get why it can be a little weird. Mm-hmm. It's also encouraging to see that people can take these tools that were originally very much targeted at the college crowd in Facebook's case, though, of course, Facebook itself has long since tried to diversify and successfully so, mm-hmm. or to sort of the niche of media and politics and whatnot in the case of blogs and see these things become tools that are used very, very differently than they were originally used and really empowering groups of people to connect with each other. Now, they have their downsides. You talk to anyone in our Stevens and my rough age cohort, and you'll hear that for some people, Facebook and mommy blogs can be really discouraging because, sure, they can provoke comparison and they can prompt people to think, why isn't my life as awesome as that life is? These are some of the downsides of things like social media and blogging Mm -hmm. in general. Why don't Mm -hmm. I get as many hits? I'm a good blogger. So... On the one I'm hand, a better you have blogger the, than that yeah, blogger, and that blogger I'm, has more hits than me. That's right. And they so must be on doing the one something hand, stupid. 
They must be buying traffic. Mm. On the on the one hand, you have all the good empowering things that go with this. On the other hand, you have all the same negative dynamics that you've always had with these technologies. The mm-hmm. the shift in demographic doesn't change all of those. Yeah. And I think there's some interesting things to think about in relation to a social media and to blogging as a whole. We're only now to the point where we can start to see what shifts and trends happen when you have a long-term use of the internet. And mm-hmm. it seems like generationally some social media adhere to a generation but they don't go through that generation's entire lifespan it seems like there are specific social media that move with generations but don't move all the way through so like people who started on facebook thought it was uncool move to instagram and if instagram gets uncool the next thing will will move along unless they've moved along age-wise enough that they want to connect with people in college and in their families that they can't see because they've moved away <laughs> to far-off places, and then they may have a differentiated use for Facebook from the original reason that they had to use it. So you have a kind of multiplicity of how social media is used. You have very hip and cool, as we're talking about, uses and then you have some basic core social utilities that are developed over stable properties like Facebook, mm-hmm. which I think at this point the only two ones that I can think of that are truly stable core products are Pinterest and Facebook. It's not surprising to me that both of those have women, particularly women 35 to 55 as a core demographic at this point. Yep. And that highlights one of the things that we think a lot of startups and so on ought to think about a lot more, which is the fact that, yeah, you have that hip young group that's kind of cool to catch. And sometimes you need to catch their attention if you're trying to get popular. But if you tailor your product too tightly to the whims of that group, you're going to miss an enormous amount of humanity. For one thing, you're going to miss that 35 to 55-year-old age group as a whole. Certainly, you're going to be missing out on women. And Pinterest is the much-discussed example of how Silicon Valley really struggles to, and venture capitalists have broadly really struggled to understand its success model, when its success model is mostly just a little bit different than targeting mostly 20 to 30 year old white males that highlights the other thing not only does it make sense to target and to think about reaching out to people who aren't between 20 and 30 years old and white and male well that that's really what i'm trying to say yeah (laughs) not not only does it make sense to target 35 to 55 year old women it just makes sense generally to ask how will this be used by how could this be used by how might we make this better to be used by people who aren't male or white or 20 to 30 years old right and too infrequently do any of those questions get asked and yeah steven and i often talk about the fact that along with many of its other identity problems twitter struggles to know what it is because there are a lot of different twitters and for example black twitter is a different social construct than Silicon Valley white Twitter. Right, and And journalist Twitter and friend Twitter, because some people still do use it as a... Right, there's there's music Twitter and there's video sharing Twitter and Mm -hmm. there's Korea Twitter. And Mm -hmm. uh, one of the very strange but fascinating things about uh, much lamented app.net is that some of the really active channels of use on it are... And I'll have to check this, but we'll put a correction if I misstate it here in the show notes. Uh, It's Koreans. There's just this massive group of Koreans who use it still. 
And non-Korean users kind of look at that and think, huh, okay, I wonder why. And what none of us that I know speak Korean, so we don't we don't actually have an answer. But there are core demographics. <laughs> <laughs> none of us can ask them, like, why why are you here? We know why we're here, but it'd be nice to be able to ask and say, why are you guys here? Why is this attractive to you? But there are whole demographics and whole populations that use any piece of media like this that just get overlooked a lot of time by startups. Yeah. Yeah, and that goes for people with handicaps, that goes mm-hmm. for old people, 65 and above, 55 and above. It goes for very young people. It goes for a giant, giant swath of humanity. And we'll talk about some of those contours more in future episodes. But what we really wanted to talk about here is that the Internet is more than just one specific demographic entity. It's more than just 4chan. And that's a fascinating thing that's going to continue to develop more and more. And we talk about that as a concept, like the internet of everyone. <laughs> but but that, that means that you have to actually like talk to the people. And, like, <laughs> you have to see who everyone is and, and interact with them and build things for them. And the payoff is that when you build things for more stable groups that aren't just looking for the hot new thing, you get a more stable product. Yep. Before you go, a couple things we'd like to draw your attention to. First, in a rather shocking article that we're going to link to in the show notes, the Koch brothers, or at least one Koch brother, at least one Koch brother reportedly told a bunch of other very well-off conservative businessmen, you need to stop supporting tax subsidies and breaks for big business. It's self-destructive in the long term. Change. Anybody who's followed the saga of the Koch brothers and conservatives with big business over the last couple decades know that this is kind of new. It kind turns of out, new. Kind <laughs> of new. It's extremely new. But it turns out that even people who are clearly motivated pretty strongly by the bottom line and by self-interest can be motivated to take a longer view when it becomes clear that taking a purely short-term view is self-detrimental. Now, we would like them to maybe take a longer view for other reasons that aren't quite so self-motivated. But hey, it's a step. Hey. We'll take it. <laughs> it's a step. We don't know if it'll work out. We don't know what'll happen. But just the fact that he said it is great. <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum, things that people said that are not great. Cecil the lion has been poached You've probably read about this if you've been on the internet. And (laughs) it's disappointing that this happened. Like, poaching is evil. Breaking laws is bad. But as we've discussed before, internet vigilanteism is not good. (laughs) And slamming this poor dentist firm, which is more than just one dentist, or at least more than just one person who's worked there, if it is a single dentist firm with thousands and thousands of negative Yelp reviews over and over and over, and the attendant death threats and all the horribleness that comes along with internet vigilanteism, that is not good, y'all. Like, that's just not, not good. What, I, no, we, we no, we don't <laughs> do that. That's a pretty here. good summary. No, no. Our thanks to Jeremy W. Sherman for sponsoring the show. You can see all of our sponsors in the show notes. And if you'd like to sponsor us, you can set up a monthly pledge at patreon.com slash winning slowly or give directly at cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. I don't think that's ever going to get old. Nope. We have committed to giving 10% of any support you guys give us to the Internet Archive to help what we think is an undervalued organization, and it is certainly an underfunded organization, to keep bit rot from happening. 
Mm-hmm. And Link Rot. Yep. Song at the beginning was The Fog by Beach Moon Peach Moon. Please don't use it without their permission. We asked and they said yes. You can find show notes for this episode at winningslowly.org slash 3.03. You can follow us on Twitter or app.net at winningslowly, or you can subscribe to our Facebook page. As always, thanks for listening. And, well, we actually think... (laughs) Wow. And... <laughs> Good start today. <laughs> yeah, dog. And I think it's kind of a a move away from well, I'm I'm actually not going to say that. I I disagree with myself as I am saying that. <laughs> there yes. you go. Blooper reel. I disagree with myself <laughs> as I'm talking. Uh <laughs> And you can follow us on Twitter app and app. Feel like I'm in the Looney Tunes here. That's all, folks. You can follow us on. <laughs>